0: To a
1: fires touchdown, Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone. Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They
0: had to get that touchdown on that play They get it. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going everybody? I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show a very special guest will join us. Jordan Reed of ESPN jumps in to detail the Dolphins 2021 rookie class. We'll also talk about Tua Vailoa's development with the perspective of a former college quarterback and we'll also take a look back at the 2021 college football season. You're not going to talk you're not going to not talk college ball when you get Jordan Reed on the podcast. We're going to make this a two-part podcast. So part 1 today, part 2 coming up on the next edition of the Drive Time podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time podcast.
1: It's another
0: Miami Dolphins Let's kick this off right away off the top and welcome in welcoming my guest ESPN's own Jordan Reed. And joining me now is the newest draft analyst for ESPN. It feels great to say that Jordan. Jordan Reed, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good, Travis. It's always a pleasure whenever we can sit down and talk ball. I Always love talking Dolphins, so I'm excited
0: yeah, I think this is uh, our fourth or fifth time having you on Drive Time. You not, you actually might be the most frequent guest here. So extending that record here with a two-part episode, always happy to have you on. And uh, you you and I were just talking a little bit off-air about how I think we met at the 2020 Combine, talking to Austin Jackson, who later became a Miami Dolphin, and then COVID became a thing in our lives like a two weeks later, and life kind of changed from there. And here we are back on a Zoom call, and during that time, Jordan... I had just been hired by the Miami Dolphins and you got yourself a gig with ESPN working with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and the crew. Congratulations for that again, man. It's fantastic to see the hard work pay off. But I was curious, how did that gig come to be?
1: It kind of was unforeseen. Uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. I wouldn't say unforeseen for myself, but um, you just never know who's following you on Twitter, especially social media. I'm a big social media guy as far as Twitter. That's really the only one that I operate for the most part, I do, you know, go on Instagram here and there. But Twitter is really how I consume my daily news, especially sports news. And then whenever I see something happening or instant reaction or things like that. So come to find out three ESPN executives have been following me for the past six months that I had no idea about. And then they were just looking for somebody to groom for Mel. I think Mel, probably, you know, male 61 years old. So he, he's kind of thinking about his post career. Right now, uh, there's no timetable or anything like that. But you know, they're looking for somebody to groom, and they were looking for somebody younger to pair alongside Todd McShay, who's been doing this for a very long time. And you know, Todd, if you remember, he was going through some things with his health and COVID nineteen and things like that. So, um, thank God he's he's back, situated and back in the full swing of things now. But at the time, they were looking for somebody younger to groom alongside Mel, and then to pair with Todd as well. And they reached out and they said, "Would I be interested?" And I said, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys know the answer to that question. And you know, I have to pinch myself every day just talking to Mel and talking to Todd. It's like, man, these are these are two dudes that I grew up watching. And I tweeted this out the day the day I was hired. And you know, it's a dream come true for some people to meet their favorite athlete, their favorite musician, Todd McShay and Mel Kiper. Were those two two guys for me growing up. So being able to hop on a Zoom call and being able to talk to those guys pretty much every single week is still a dream come true for me.
0: Oh, man, that's that's awesome. I had a similar moment with Peter Schrager when he first did drive time. He's the best guy you can imagine, and talking to him was incredible. So that means you must now have to – do you have to be initiated by having, like, was it lasagna and pumpkin pie or some really weird meal that he has every single draft when it's all done?
1: <laughs> yeah, Mel, Mel. – However you see him on camera, he's the exact same way on the phone. And I remember our very first conversation, (laughs) it actually was two hours long for like an hour and 50 minutes of that. He was telling me a story about the 1983 Baltimore Colts and how that whole ordeal went about. So however you see Mel on TV, he's the same energetic way as he is on TV, as he is on the phone too. So it was pretty cool talking to Mel for the first time.
0: You remember his blue books, right?
1: I told him I have every single one. <laughs>
0: oh, you do? You still save them? That's incredible. Still dude. save them? Yeah, maybe, maybe when he retires, you can get an autograph. You can finally maybe kind of cross that professional uh, boundary and ask for the for the autograph. Right? Is that something within the reach? Maybe.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially when I meet him in person for the first time, it's going to be a surreal moment for
0: sure. Oh, very cool, man. Very cool. Let's go, let's go ahead and and transition now to talk about what you do best, Jordan, and talk about the NFL draft. And I want to go back to. This Dolphins draft class, which right now, I mean, it's been pretty good so far for the Dolphins and, and very fortunate to have you on, you know, on this bye week and the Dolphins have a chance to kind of do some self-scouting themselves. I want to go ahead and do that with you on this rookie class that really continues to improve and produce each week. Let's go ahead and just start off the top here with Jalen Waddle, who I don't have to tell you about his statistics and his rankings right now and the impact he's had. What have you seen from his game? What is it, 13 games now into his pro career?
1: Well, it's been really fun seeing him grow from a week-to-week basis, especially him now becoming the primary target for Tua. And I know Devontae Parker has been banged up quite a bit, and Jalen Waddle has really consumed that number one wide receiver role. But the way he's looked over the past few weeks, this is exactly what we envisioned or what Chris Greer envisioned for him when they drafted Waddle in the top 10, or excuse me, the top 12 of last year's draft. So I'm really excited to see him continue to grow. But just as far as the explosiveness that he brings to the table, how he marries up so well with Tua in this RPO run-pass option game that they have really found out over this five-game win streak. And, you know, the great thing about Waddle is that he just looks like he's moving in a different speed than everybody else on the field. And that's what you see over these past few weeks of how well he's been able to play. But I love how they've incorporated him in the offense. It's not just from a receiving factor. You see him scoring touchdowns on the jet motion or the handoff against the New York Jets. So there's so many different ways that they're consuming and using him, which is exactly what you wanted to do with him coming out of Alabama.
0: Jordan, on that 57-yard reception he had against Carolina, I always I watch the game live, and then I watch the tape, and then I eventually find my way into the broadcast to get the full experience of every single game. And on the broadcast, you got a good shot of that because he catches the in-cut route, the little slant route there, and the speed that he moves at. Like At Bama, you're thinking, well, that's college, so maybe that's not going to translate it did the way he was moving I had to keep going back and I was laughing to myself about the way he was moving it's showing up here on Sundays but we knew that about him right and we knew about the vertical skill set all the numbers that you talk about with you know 20 plus yard air yard throws and the catches he made in college but we're watching him right now really really excel in his polish his route running his underneath game did you think based on his college tape he was going to be able to do that and be such a complete player like he has been
1: Yeah, I mean, I had Waddle as my top-ranked receiver. I I liked him that much. I even had him ranked over Jamar Chase, and they both were neck and neck, and both of those guys are are terrific players. We see what he's doing up in Cincinnati, and Waddle has done a really good job of um, really answering everything that Chase has done um, as far as those guys. Both of those guys are incredible players, but I I thought Waddle's ability was hidden a little bit in the Alabama scheme just because they were so RPO-centric, but – uh, last year with Mac Jones, you really were able to see him really be incorporated a little bit more as far as the down the field aspect. I know he got hurt in the Tennessee game. He hurt the ankle. But as far as prior to that point, he actually was neck and neck with Devontae Smith and targets and catches and then also yards. So that just goes to show you of just how well respected he was in that offense. And if Waddle stays healthy, we probably don't even see Devontae Smith Heisman campaign overall just because, of how well Waddle was playing to that point. But you talk about the special teams value that he brings as far as a returner. And I'm not sure if they're still using him as a returner, but just talking about him as a prospect overall, I really liked Waddle a lot coming out. He's really starting to blossom.
0: a a true tip of the cap to Chris Greer to not only do they get Jalen Waddle, who was your top ranked receiver, they get themselves an additional first round pick in 2023. Pretty good job in the draft. And that continued with the 18th pick in Miami's own Jalen Phillips, the university of Miami. And he's had a recent surge here, Jordan. I don't know if you saw the stat. You said you're a Charlotte guy. He has the most sacks in a two game span among any rookie going back to Julius Peppers, his rookie year there in Carolina. So he's coming on very strong here. Him and Jalen Waddle both broke Dolphins rookie records last week for receptions and sacks in a rookie season. What have you seen from the number 18 pick so far this year?
1: Well, it's not surprising at all, just because, and kudos to Jalen. He went through so much during his college career. You know, everybody knows what happened at UCLA. We don't need to go over that. But once he got to Miami, Manny Diaz really believed in him once he got there, and he really blossomed into that role and he got better every single game at Miami. And I think the differentiation and a different factor of him from every single edge rusher that went in the first round and even got drafted a year ago was just how well diverse and how seasoned of a pass rusher he already was walking through the door. So that's why so many people were so excited about Jalen Phillips. And I always say hand creativity translates to the next level just because it's just a naturally given talent. And that's what we're seeing with Jalen Phillips right now. And he's still learning to become the sum of his parts. But the thing that he already had, as soon as they called his name on draft night, was just understanding how to set up rush moves, how to reduce his surface levels, and then bend the corner and win at the quarterback. So that's what we're seeing with Jalen Phillips. And I think his best ball definitely is ahead of him. But we're seeing with the sack production already that he can be a cornerstone of this defense.
0: Did you know about his ability to rush from that inside position? Cause right now he's playing some three, some three, some four eye. He's slanting and setting picks for guys to get their own sacks. Did you know about his ability to condense inside? Was that on tape in college?
1: Yeah, and they use him and Gregory Rousseau quite a bit inside, especially on what I like to call those NASCAR third down packages of where you're just trying to get strictly speed on the field so you get more so of those two down guys off the field. You want to get those speedy guys to create those disadvantageous matchups for those interior offensive linemen against those bigger, longer guys like a Jalen Phillips and a Gregory Rousseau. So it showed up on tape. They used Rousseau a little bit more inside just because Phillips was so good coming off of the edge. But it's not surprising to see now the game slow down for him a little bit more psychologically and mentally. Now they're putting more on his plate as far as reducing him down inside.
0: And we saw him a little bit in the preseason and a little bit here and there in the, in the regular season where he was really doing a lot of dropping into coverage and kind of trying to perfect that area of his game as well. I was curious if you could talk about the developmental process that teams will try to, sometimes try to issue with guys in terms of, well, we know he can rush the passer. We can bring that along at its own pace, but we also want to go ahead and include, you know, the full capacity of that position. Is that a, a lesson for scouts? To, and kind of, I think you've tweeted about this before, about how a player, just because like a running back, for instance, just because because he didn't catch the ball in college doesn't mean he can't do that the next level
1: and this is the great thing that we don't get as the media but as players excuse me as coaching staff and executives and personnel directors they get to sit down with these guys and just understand how much football they understand and the one thing that was constant or consistent with Jalen was that he loved the game of football he just had some off the field hiccups and some mishaps that happened along the way but every coach and every person that you talked to inside of the building at UCLA and Miami and said they said this guy absolutely loves the game of football and he was their best defensive player at Miami even though the stats may not have backed that up But as far as the constant disruption that he had and the production that he had at Miami, we knew that was going to translate. So it's not surprising to see what he's doing. But as far as edge rushers, it's just a matter of how much can you put on their plate. And what you see a lot of times with rookies is that they're used as what I like to call DPRs or designated pass rushers. So you just want them moving forward just because there's no thinking and you just allow them to pin their ears back. That's a term that you hear a lot. Uh, what you hear a lot on telecast on third downs is that you just want those guys moving forward. You want them pinning their ears back and just telling them, go get the quarterback. But with Jalen Phillips, he was a really good run defender, too. I think that was an underrated aspect about his overall portfolio and his resume coming out. So I just think he was so seasoned and well-rounded in so many different areas. It was just a matter of when was that light really going to turn on for him. And I think we're really starting to see it turn on right now.
0: Well, it's pretty rare to get two immediate producing rookies in one single class. To get three is another thing, and the Dolphins have that right now with Javon Holland, who pretty much since he took over a full-time, you know, 100% snap taker starting type of role, he's been on a roll with interceptions, pressuring the quarterback, kind of the Jenga piece of that defense, moving around from the deep post down to the slot, into the box, off the edge, factoring the running game. I can go on and on here, Jordan. What did you see from the Oregon prospect who, when he came out, Brian Flores could not stop raving about this kid?
1: So if you follow me on Twitter and then you type in the search bar, Javon Holland, beside my name, you'll know how much I love (laughs) Javon Holland coming out. Just because I always feel as if the safety position is just how smart you are, how intellectual you are. And that's one of the first things, just listening to him speak at the pro day, just talking about how much he loves the game of football. And I always go back to this, and a lot of people don't really know this about Javon, is that he graduated from Oregon in two and a half years. It takes a lot to do that as far as a workload and then being able to play football at a high level like he did at Oregon in the Pac-12, being a standout player. And I think a lot of people missed on Holland because they just focused on the 2019 tape. He didn't play in 2020. Obviously, he was an opt-out. And they had him strictly playing strong, safe in 2019. But if you go back and watch him in 2018, he was playing free safety, he was playing strong safety, he was blitzing off of the edge. He was that plus defender in the box as far as run support player and he was even playing on the roof as a single high safety. So it kind of was a disservice to him of there were some personnel things that they had going on there of where he was just pigeonholed into playing one position in 2019. So I think that's where a lot of people really missed on Javon Holland but as far as the player overall he was one of my favorite players in the draft just because of the intellectual ability. I keep coming back to him in his academic capacity, graduating from Oregon in two and a half years, being a team captain, and then being able to handle the the many hats that he was wearing while at Oregon. I, just, I was surprised he wasn't a first-round pick, honestly. I would have selected him in the first round. I really liked him that much coming out.
0: And that really tracks with the type of player that... Brian Flores typically gravitates towards smart, dependable. They're going to be in their playbook. They're going to prepare the right way, and he certainly is that guy. Um, I had to, I wanted to ask you more about about Javon in this regard, you know, because he, like I mentioned, it was about four or five weeks before he really took over that primary role. And coach always talks about signal callers, right? Your guys down the middle, your middle linebacker, your, your free safety, your center, your quarterback, the guys that handle the signal uh, relaying to the rest of the club. How impressive is it for a rookie to come in and fulfill one of those roles and be one of the primary communicators on that defense?
1: It's huge. And once again, it goes back to, to what I talk about with the intellectual ability and even when we we're talking about Jalen Phillips of how much they can handle on their plate and it's a case-by-case basis of just how much you can put on a rookie's plate but I'm sure Flo seemed like man this guy he just eats it up no matter how much we put on this plate so why not let's just keep doing more so it's not surprising at all especially talking about the academic ability with him and then just how much he handled back in 2018 as far as the hats that he was wearing on that defense Now, we know that Brian Flores' defense is very complex, so it's really impressive that he has the mental capacity and then also being able to produce while still learning the speed of the game. I think that's the most impressive thing about Holland so far, where he's just trusting what his eyes see while still understanding and learning the intricacies of the defense, and I'm sure he's much more comfortable than he was in it um, during the the early stages of his season, obviously, just because this is his first year playing, but now – He understands the calls. He understands where he needs to be. He's very assignment sound. We know he's always going to be that. But the game really never seemed too fast for Holland, even making his first start early on in the season. So I think that's one of the more impressive things about him so far.
0: That's great stuff, man. The way they've used him certainly does kind of – kind of track with what you're talking about there with the mental capacity for the game. He's, he's been awesome for us so far. I want to talk about the rest of our draft class, but at the same time, you know, Hunter Long's getting his, his feet wet here a little bit. We haven't seen Jared Dokes or Larnell Coleman yet, but we have seen plenty of second-round pick Liam Eichenberg up on the Dolphins' offensive line. He started off at some guard positions back in camp, played some right tackle, played, now he's playing left tackle his position in college there at Notre Dame. What have you seen from him so far, and how can he continue to build on this rookie season and get better and better as we go along?
1: I think he's one of those players that really was labeled as, I hate using the word safe in the draft, but you talk about a player that started over 40-plus games at left tackle at Notre Dame. He was a starter as soon as he walked through the door. I think they found a player in Michael Dieter who they can depend on. Robert Hunt has really progressed in his second season, so it's just a matter of getting in where he's fitting in at this point. And, you know, with these rookie offensive linemen, and rookies in general, you really never know when the light is going to turn on for them, and everybody is different. And I know Dolphins fans are a little bit spoiled just because their first three picks, they look (laughs) like cornerstones of the franchise. They're going to expect that out of Liam Eichenberg, Hunter Long, and the rest of this rookie class. But we're talking about day two and day three guys. They were selected there for a reason. So just understand that there's some that you have to have some patience with.
0: Yeah, that's perfectly stated. I think that, uh, you know, that's kind of been the case before where the microwave society kind of impacts the way people view quarterbacks and obviously other positions as well. And I would be remiss, Jordan, having you on here if I didn't ask you about a 2020 first-round draft pick, our first pick of that season, and quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, who just completed his 17th start as a professional quarterback. And being that you've played this position at such a high level and have seen all these quarterbacks for God knows how many years now, under such a microscope as you do this for a living. What have you seen here in Tua's development in year number two?
1: Well, I mean, I like the things that he showed as a rookie. It was just a matter of him getting comfortable with the scheme. And I know they had a, a bunch of turnover there as far as the offensive scheme and the things that they want to do there. But, you know, him learning a new system once again this year, I think they're really started to cater the system towards him. And what I mean by that, we both know that Tua was at his best when he can run that run pass option system. He can make quick, decisive decisions just because the best trait or the A-plus trait that he had that you'll see on every single draft um, scouting report that was written about Tua is just his accuracy of how he allowed guys to get yards after the catch. He didn't make wide receiver stress as far as, trying to put it in different portions of their body. He allows them to put it in accurate areas to where they can get plenty of yards after the catch. That's why we saw those Alabama receivers so successful when they were playing with Tua. And we're seeing that now with guys like Jalen Waddle and some of the other players on this wide receiver corps. So the accuracy that he has been able to display, the mobility he seems to be a little bit more comfortable now that he is healthy. Uh, and during this win streak, I just love how they have embraced the underneath, the intermediate, the short game, and then the RPO game. He looks so much more comfortable, and able to stick the ball in the gut of the running back or the wide receiver coming in motion, being able to pull it out, and what I like to call this or that throw. So if the linebacker moves a certain way, or if he stays put, he can just simply hand the ball off, or he can, what I like to call, grip it and rip rip ball out there if uh, they suck down towards the first level of the defense. That's when, Tool is at his best when they're allowing him to really manifest in that run pass option game.
0: Did you ever participate in any any variation of the RPO game in your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a cheat code. (laughs) RPOs, it makes the game so much simpler just because I like, as I just mentioned, I like to call it this or that throws. Mm -hmm. And, you know, old school NFL, they say you have to go through a first, second, third, fourth, fifth read and reading left to right or right to left, exhausting the entire progression. And I think the NFL is kind of moving away from that just because you really want to cater the game to these young quarterbacks. And college systems, I mean, we're at the point now where these guys aren't making calls in the huddle until they get to the NFL just because everything is so sideline signaled based. Everything's signaled into them. There's some offense that cut off even half of the field. For them, and not saying they could have the field off for Tua, but he was in a very RPO centric type of offense, of where he didn't have much experience or exposure to exhausting a first, second, third, or even fourth or fifth option in the progression. There were those this or that throws of where what I like to call our object reads of where he's reading a singular position if the linebacker moves left to right, he would throw the opposite based on the movements that he did on the run action that they had on those plays.
0: So does the RPO offense the Dolphins are running? Because there's so many times where, you know, obviously he has the mesh point, the option to give it to the running back. He'll have a flat, he'll have a first window slant, and then maybe a curl route in that option or in that area. And it seems like a lot of these defenders are having a hard time figuring out where the football's going. Is that because of his release, his footwork? Like what contributes to that for Tua's game?
1: The great thing about RPOs is that you can't be right. (laughs) with The defender that you're reading, Whatever decision that they make, there's going to be an answer that you have to that. So if you're throwing a quick slant behind his head, if he's coming down towards the line of scrimmage, I can throw that slant behind his head. But if he doesn't come down on the run action, I can simply just hand the ball off to Miles Gaskins or whoever the running back is in on that play. So the great thing about the RPO game is that you always have answers to everything that the defense is going to do. And then you incorporate now a dangerous weapon like Jalen Waddle into that where you can send him on a motion behind to it to where – If nobody, if they're not respecting him or the defense doesn't shift to that motion, I can put it in the gut of the running back and I can pull it out and I can dump in the water. Who knows what he can do when the ball is in his hands. We know how explosive he is on the perimeter.
0: You mentioned the ball placement earlier, and, and Tua has one of the top completions above expected rates right now in the NFL. He's obviously had the second best completion rate in terms of just completing passes across the National Football League. So I think kind of check the box there on the ball placement. He's been very sharp in that area. But what have you seen from his pocket mobility, Jordan? Because we have this, you know, one of these great debates that we see on Twitter, and I'm sure you're engaged in them as anybody as much as anybody is. You know, quarterback wins is one of them, but I always see that the debate about sack. Uh, attribute, how do they attribute sacks? Some people say it's a quarterback stat. Uh, Do you think that's the case? And the fact that he has the sixth lowest sack rate in the National Football League, what does that say about his game?
1: Well, it says a lot. They're battling with a bunch of young guys. And I can speak from experience. My senior year of college, I had an entire freshman offensive front. So not I've never played on the NFL level before, but We both know that the hardest position to play on offense as far as guys that stick together every single play are those offensive linemen up front. And if they don't have any chemistry, it can have a negative effect on the quarterback. But I think with Tua, I think he's finally healthy. And you can tell in his mobility just because I think Tua is able to create outside of structure. But when Tua was at his best, even at Alabama – you saw how he was able to navigate inside the pocket, create those throwing windows. And I know this may be a little bit off topic, but with Russell Wilson, I think that was one of his better attributes as far as being a shorter quarterback, as well as Drew Brees being able to navigate inside of the pocket and being able able to create those new throwing windows.
0: Would you be surprised if I told you Tua has three batted passes in his career on 565 attempts?
1: I'm not surprised just because we both know that Quarterback height is kind of a bit of an archaic uh, draft term in the sense of that Jordan. I think it was one year where like Brock, Brock Osweiler led the league and batted passes, so <laughs> <laughs> <He's like laughs> with everybody seen that, <laughs> they should have de- they should have did away with that. Oh. Uh, quarterback
0: high belief yeah that's incredible kyler murray obviously on an mvp pace over there in arizona as well and, and we've seen russell wilson do it for years and years and years there jordan phenomenal stuff man i don't think we're gonna get better takes on this rookie class than we just did here from you jordan reed of espn jordan you want to come back and do another podcast Does that sound good with you
1: yeah man let's do it
0: all right let's do it can you tell people where they can find you real quick on twitter
1: Yeah, so you can find me at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I-D on Twitter. And, of course, you can find my work as well as Mel Kuyper and Ty McShay on ESPN.com.
0: Fantastic. Let's go ahead and run this thing back. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here for this podcast. We have part two coming up on It'll be the next Draft Time podcast. I'm not sure exactly when it comes out, but keep it locked here for all the latest on the Miami Dolphins, including my part two interview here with Jordan Reed of ESPN. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Wingfield NFL, and the Miami Dolphins across all social platforms at Miami Dolphins. Also, Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, our YouTube channel for all the media availabilities, as well as Dolphins Today with Joe, Rachel, and occasionally myself. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy is coming home.